0: You're not the boss of me now, and you're not so big. Welcome to Life is Unfair, the Malcolm in the Middle podcast, where we watch and discuss every episode of Malcolm in the Middle in order, one by one. Today, we're going to be discussing Season 1, Episode 5, Malcolm Babysits, which aired February 13th, 2000, was directed by Jeff Melman and was written by Maggie Bander and Bonnie Landrum. I'm
1: Jake, and how many chances do you have to taste a mummy? First of all, thanks dealing that i'm david and uh yeah nope no catchy line you're welcome
0: we're only five episodes in and we've done, i've done this to you twice now i'm impressed with myself i hate you <laughs> so much
1: I always look for a quirky little thing to reference ever since you didn't tell me you were going to do that on the first episode. Before we can look at
0: this week's episode, we need to go back to last week's episode for a moment. That was episode 4, Shame. So on Twitter, we put up a poll to see if you guys agreed or disagreed with our opinions on who the shittiest and least shitty kids were. So for Least Shitty Kid, we were in agreement. Uh, We both chose Malcolm for that week. And the internet also agreed. They also chose Malcolm as the least shitty kid. But for Shittiest Kid, we disagree. Do you remember who you chose,
1: David? Which episode is this? Uh, Shame. Oh, for Shame? Uh, I do not. Uh, you
0: chose Reese.
1: Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. For, for being excited about
0: Malcolm beating up a little kid.
1: Yeah. I chose Dewey because he killed all those frogs. Yeah, but he didn't, though. Well, okay, he might have. The one was clearly Reese's
0: fault. Uh, I, no, not necessarily. That is the funeral of the frog that has just died. And they do imply that Dewey killed that
1: frog. I've thought about this after the yeah, episode. for science.
0: So I'm pretty sure Dewey killed that
1: frog as well. But regardless, he did not kill the frog in Lois's car, though.
0: No, that's the one, That that is the one they're having the funeral for. Because Reese brings it up at the funeral as a pleasant memory for that frog in particular. It's the detail that we both missed in last week's podcast. Huh, maybe. <laughs> so I think the frog survived that incident and died in some other shenanigans. But, the internet actually disagreed with both of us. They chose Francis as the shittiest kid. Okay. Which is insanity. All
1: they did was swap out slides in a sex ed class. Yeah, he was trying to help the next generation. Yeah, he did nothing wrong. That's crazy talking yeah, internet. geez. Francis does one thing right, and he still
0: can't catch a break. Uh, but that wraps up our community segment. Uh, if you want to vote in the poll for this week's episode, hop on over to Twitter, where we are at unfair underscore podcast, and you can put in your vote. So let's start with the cold open. The cold open starts with Malcolm and Reese playing a Nintendo 64 game. Naturally. Uh, it's the 2000s, Jake. It is the year 2000. The future. They are playing, presumably, Mortal Kombat Trilogy, based on what Malcolm says about Reese knocking his head off, because that was a exclusive Nintendo 64 move in Mortal Kombat Trilogy. Uh, Luke Cage's fatality, so you could kick someone's head off. I'm impressed
1: you remember that.
0: I I looked it up. I remember there was
1: something to do with that. I just remember playing that game. Like, I think the only three games I ever played on a Nintendo 64 was Mortal Kombat Trilogy, Goldeneye, and the Mario 64.
0: Never played Ocarina of Dime?
1: Not on the 64. I think I've only ever played it ported. I watched a lot of people play it, but I never got a turn. Well, also means you've never played
0: Majora's Mask, the best though.
1: I've played it ported, but no, never on the original Nintendo 64.
0: No? you're a disappointment, David. You've let well, all of us down.
1: if you guys would have let me play more often.
0: But their Mortal Kombat session is interrupted as Lois comes into the room and tells them these games are too violent and shuts it off and
1: turns on an educational show. So prior to this, you also see Reese, who's we've established at this point is a real shitbag. Uh, he's holding a bowl of chips. Dewey asks politely, can I have some more chips? And he says, yeah, sure. And he hands him back. Dewey g- grabs some chips and then Reese takes the bowl back. And Reese is clearly beating Malcolm. And Malcolm says, oh, man, nice move. You kicked my head right off. You know, the boys are just bantering back and forth very politely, very obviously scripted, very, very just polite and and kind and exactly what you would expect from a normal group of behaved children yes and then lois comes in and turns off their violent video game
0: and puts on an educational show we can tell it's educational because the song that's playing is explaining the sun and it's worth noting this is a song by they might be giants once again, it's Why Does the Sun Shine from that weird era of They Might Be Giants where they were releasing a bunch of educational songs, including this one. I immediately recognize it. The boys' behavior immediately changes to their more standard behavior. Dewey comes over and screams that he wants more chips, uh, which causes Reese to scream back, and then Reese throws the chips at Dewey, prompting yes. Dewey to jump on Reese, and uh, they all start fighting. As boys did. As, as you would expect these boys to be behaving most of the time. Yeah, and us. You're not wrong. Although, to be fair, we definitely don't become, you know, more calm and polite when we're playing video games. No. In fact, quite the opposite most of the time. Especially you. You get real yelly. That's crazy talk. <laughs> <laughs> so, once again, this show is divided between three plots. I, I think we're going to cover the A and B plot sort of as one because they interconnect quite a bit. Yeah,
1: they almost aren't separate. They kind of are, but not right. really. More so even than the last episode and, and stuff. Like, this doesn't feel like three separate arcs. But what
0: does feel separate, once again, is Francis's storyline. Well, of course. As it is, once again, him alone at military school, isolated from the rest of the family. So, uh, I say we, once again, start there. Yeah. Francis' plotline starts with him holding a key in front of his face, which he... <laughs> Reveals is the master key to the Academy, which he has stolen from Commandant Spangler, and he is very excited about this, whereas his friend and roommate Stanley is mostly cares about care package that Francis isn't opening from his family. Uh, I and mean, it's
1: probably cookies, Jake.
0: It is probably cookies, and when he opens it, he does in fact find that it is cookies, but it is bug-infested cookies. Which, uh, will explain why when we cover the A&B plot. That's right. But Francis looks in and says, Bug infested cookies. A mixed message, as usual.
1: Which implies some weird things about our gift packages.
0: Uh, we then see Francis and Stanley exploring, using this, uh, master key, going... Places where they've never been before in the Academy. Francis is starting to get bored with their exploration, saying that it's the most boring place in the world and they'll never find anything interesting. And then they find an abandoned bomb shelter, and when they open it up, they find a corpse. And this corpse belongs to Lester the Janitor. Uh, I didn't write down the date. He's been missing since I think it's 1984. Five. Eighty-five? Okay. Which Stanley reveals after tasting the mummy. Uh, <laughs> Francis says, You can figure that out just from taste, and he says, No, there's a calendar over there. <laughs> Francis says, Then why did you taste him? Stanley replies, How many chances do you get to taste a mummy?
1: Yeah. How often it's how often do you get to taste a mummy?
0: Francis and Stanley are debating what to do with the corpse. Francis wants to tell his family. Stanley's not sure he has one based on all the scotch bottles and German dungeon porn, which Francis is upset is on Betamax. It sort of leaves off with them unsure of what to do. And then when it comes back to Francis and Stanley, they're coming into the bomb shelter, having discovered that Lester, in fact, had no family. And a bunch of other cadets are throwing a party in the bomb shelter and have used Lester's corpse as a prop, having put a beer hat <laughs> on him. I uh, A cigarette in one hand and a beer in the other hand. Francis is disgusted by his fellow cadets' behavior with the corpse. And he demands that they respect Lester and not do things like put a beer hat on him and use him for uh, cop... Yeah? Prop comedy. Wow. And put a fake mustache on him. At which point he proceeds to rip off what he thinks is a fake mustache. And what
1: turns out to be an actual mustache. And it's implied that Lester's head comes off. Yes. Which is then confirmed later. Also, you missed, you know, I mean, the man was a hero. He was filled with a hatred for Commandant Spangler, just like each of us he was full of impudent rage that's right
0: and in fact in this very speech uh francis says that you need to treat such heroes like the heroes that they are and send them off to valhalla with a proper viking funeral which will come back later but i mean he's right after accidentally beheading the janitor they do in fact take his corpse to uh the ponder lake it's never explicitly said what but i imagine it's like a pondera lake on the military academy
1: yeah probably it's where they probably do like amphibious stuff they probably have the boys like row and shit like they don't show the boat but it's very clearly implied that they have a boat they have a place to store boats so and you know high class military academies they probably have like a rowing team or something
0: yeah yeah they take him out there set him on fire and push the boat out Francis comments that, uh, he's going up really quick. He asks the other cadet how much gas he used. He says he used half a can. Then Francis looks down at their feed and says, Where'd you put the can? Uh, At that point, off-screen we just see a flash of light and we get an explosion sound. (laughs) Then the cadets calmly comment on the fact that the boat is going towards the boathouse. And then we get another... Much bigger flash of light with some wind effects and a much louder explosion noise. Yes. And the cadets once again calmly decide that it is time for them to run
1: away. Yeah, I love all of the faces just kind of look. You get the small, like, puzzled look on a few of the cadets in the background and then run? Yeah, we should run. And then they scatter. Yeah, yeah.
0: Uh, but that is it for Francis's plotline. So we will go over to the A and B plot. Uh, I, I have the A plot being the Malcolm plotline, the babysitting plotline. Well, given as that's what the uh, episode is named for. Yeah. That makes sense. The B plot centers around the bug infestation. Yes. But but these plotlines both start with Malcolm in the kitchen, trying to get his parents to buy him a $90 robotics kit. Lois is turning him down and Hal agrees, not for financial reasons, but because he is afraid of robots.
1: Yeah, you see that robot janitor on the Jetsons? I mean, come on.
0: So Malcolm walks away uh, disappointed and commenting that this is how these things always go, with him being turned down and Hal revealing a different cartoon character that he's afraid of. We see the boys in the bathroom fighting over Malcolm's toothbrush, which Reese has stolen and is using. Oh, so gross. Which Reese then uh puts in the toilet rather than give back to Malcolm. In this scene specifically, it's for like a fact of it being right up next to the camera. You can tell they've put the toilet up on like a razor.
1: The toilet, like, bowl is up to Reese's chest. Yeah. Also, by the way, I would like to point out that it is in a different location in the bathroom from the episode where Lois and Malcolm are having their exchange where she's putting a band-aid on him and Hal's sitting on the toilet pooping. The toilet is in a different spot within the bathroom okay yeah yeah you were were right yeah because the toilet was across from the tub yep and now that's where the sink is and the toilet is next to the tub in this that is true Uh, as the boys are fighting it
0: cuts back to Hal and Lois in the kitchen uh where they're making out until Lois notices a bug and smashes it with the iron And Hal calls her a
1: sexy, bug-killing panther. It's an appropriate dad-level, like, horny dad-level comment.
0: Uh, then Lois goes to the bathroom to yell at the boys who are still fighting over the toothbrush. Dewey's become involved somehow. When she enters the bathroom, Dewey is, in fact, in the toilet. Uh, like, his butt is in the toilet. He's been put down into it. Yeah, poor Dewey. Yes, poor Dewey. But she breaks up the fight and takes them all to their bedroom and uh, put them to bed. They're not allowed to rinse.
1: Rinsing is for good boys, Jacob. Yes, yeah, so Dewey
0: requests a bedtime story. <laughs> Her bedtime story is once upon a time, there was a little boy who was so bad that he was sent off to the circus. And Dewey... An evil circus? Yes, Dewey asks if it's an e- evil circus. She says, no, a good
1: circus with monkeys. And Dewey says, thanks. Then lays down. The amount of times growing up I was threatened to be sold to gypsy which is just like a more racist version of this. Yeah. Yeah, that that really, I felt that.
0: Uh, as they're going to bed, Hal comes in having traced the bugs to their source. He finds a hole in the boys' room uh, and he goes to spray it. And we don't see the bugs, but it's implied that they swarm Hal as he does a little dance and sprays himself with the bug spray.
1: Brian Cranston's physical comedy is on point. So good. See, he, he
0: does a very good covered in bugs dance. Yeah. They all leave the room to go sleep in the den. Can't blame him. And when we come back, we get our first glimpse of Malcolm at his babysitting job. The parents of the kids he's babysitting are very nice to him. They basically explain that the children will be sleeping the whole time. He basically just has to hang out. And we see Malcolm experiencing (laughs) happiness for the first time, not understanding what is happening to his face. I
1: think I'm having a spasm.
0: And we also get introduced to the family's pet fish, Barney which will be important later in the episode. Yep. We go back over to the uh, house. Hal has called in a exterminator, played by Eric Stone Street, who is most known for being Cam in Modern Family. Here, he's just playing Phil the Exterminator. It's a good role. It's a good job. Phil the Exterminator explains that uh, part of the issue is that it's been a very hot summer, but really this infestation has come from the hidey hole full of trash and half-eaten food... <laughs> <laughs> that has been left under their house says it's like there's some kind of weird hobo living under there and Hal and Lois look over at Dewey who is scratching himself the implication being that this is Dewey's hidey hole
1: I mean I believe
0: it seems like a very Dewey thing to do given his you know eating trash under the couch in episode yeah. 2
1: uh, poor thing he doesn't know any better
0: But because of the infestation, the house is covered in a fumigation tent, which Dewey thinks means the circus is at their house. And the family is going to have to live in Craig's trailer, which he has loaned them, uh, which he bought 15 years ago for his honeymoon. And when Lois says, I didn't realize you were ever married, he says, I wasn't. I live on hope. (laughs) Then after Lois says goodbye multiple times, Craig creepily continues to follow her.
1: And then even tries to go in for a hug at one point, realizes his mistake, and finally, like, slowly walks away. Yes, while sad music plays
0: in the background. Yes. And that's all we get of Craig in this episode. Thank God. I think that's a good amount of Craig to get. We then get a Malcolm fourth wall break in which he explains that he did the math and he is making more money from his job than Lois is making an hour. And he rubs the money on his face creepily.
1: It's really just
0: vile. And then he points out that it's creepy, that he is aware how, of how creepy it is. And
1: then continues to do it.
0: Yeah, he, he just can't stop himself. Ugh, weirdo. Then we see uh, some of the non-Malcolm family members <laughs> having to deal with the heat as Malcolm goes off to his cushy babysitting job. We see Dewey drinking some sweat. <laughs> Dewey so gross. continues to be a gross kid. <laughs> and we see Hal in his Mesh underwear, which he's very proud of and you thought these were stupid. Hal and Lois begin fighting. They kick the boys out of the trailer before they start fighting, but it's very clear that they can still hear everything being said.
1: Yes, in fact, your perspective for the start of the fight is from the boys sitting on their little stool that or crate thing outside of the trailer, hearing everything Lois and Hal are saying as if they're still in the room. Then
0: we go back back to malcolm at his babysitting job uh where he is continuing to bond with this family that he's babysitting for they're letting him use their expensive telescope that he's worried he'll break malcolm is happy to be with a family that's rich and smart and nice he imagines them offering him a million dollars but in actuality they're just offering him another sandwich to take home
1: to which he compares is the same. It's close
0: enough. Then when uh, the dad of this family drives Malcolm home, we see Lois and Hal's fighting has progressed. Uh, Lois is now throwing Hal and other people's clothes out of the window of the trailer while screaming at him. Uh, Hal is screaming back
1: in his underwear. Specifically, apparently, Hal asked her sister out first when they were younger. Uh, specifically, Hal asked actually
0: dated her, didn't just ask her, he dated her sister before he dated Lois. This will be a plot point
1: later on. Fair enough, I mean, that makes sense. Also, the amount of times I've known that to happen in real life, insane.
0: But as this is going on, we see all the neighbors have gathered to watch as they pull up and Hal turns to yell in the headlights at the uh, father's there to drop Malcolm off. Malcolm says, oh, this is the wrong house, I'm actually down the street.
1: Yep, oh. It's so great.
0: (laughs) Then when we come back from what back in the day would be a commercial break, we see a montage uh, cutting between Malcolm at his cushy job and the family suffering in the heat in the trailer.
1: Very parallel montage so like they're trying to cool down in a little kiddie pool that it's very clear Dewey peed in and Malcolm is jumping into their pool and so on and so forth and it's it's all things like that. He very clearly has it much better than the rest of his family.
0: Then we get a phone call between Malcolm and Francis which is the only thing of the Francis plotline that we haven't already covered but Malcolm is talking about feeling like he doesn't belong with their family and asking if Francis feels the same way and now Francis is agreeing is obviously he's not part of the family he's been sent to military school. Malcolm says it's nice that there's one other normal member of the family. <laughs> then Francis asks Malcolm if he knows how to reattach a head to a body.
1: Yeah, you know, because he's in school with all those science brains.
0: Yes. <laughs> then we go back to the trailer where Hal and Lois are continuing to be snappy, both with each other and with Reese. Lois yells at Reese for, uh, turning the page of his comic too loudly. Hal yells at him, then Lois yells back and tells Reese to go to a corner, to which Reese replies, there are no corners.
1: Having been in an Airstream trailer like that, there aren't.
0: Hal goes over and asks Lois if she's ready to make up. She says... No, and Hal looking confused says he also is not ready to make up. It's very clear from both of their expressions that they've never had to deal with a fight for this long before, and uh, it's a sort of mystery that Hal will have to unravel by the end of the episode. This leads to Hal going out to the lawn to sleep in a sleeping bag, the trailer equivalent of being kicked out to sleep on the couch, and Malcolm comes home, and the two of them have a little talk, in which Hal looks up at the stars and imagine that uh somewhere out there in space there's a spaceman who's been kicked out of his space trailer looking down or, or sideways up or sideways at them and malcolm reassures him that wherever they are they're definitely looking down on them
1: malcolm's very aware of his social status yes he it's is
0: pal also sort of confirms that he and lois have never had a fight this long before and he doesn't know why they're not making up like they usually When we come back, once again, from what used to be a commercial break. There used to be a lot of those in TV shows back in the day, kids. But, uh, we get more of Malcolm at his babysitting job. The parents are telling him that he's starting to feel like part of the family and talking about how much they are happy that they found him. And they say that they trust him. And Malcolm doesn't know how to respond he doesn't have practice saying nice things. This job, me like. We then cut to Malcolm sitting on the couch, surrounded by junk food watching TV. He goes to prop his feet up on the coffee table, accidentally hits the remote and changes the channel, and in the process of trying to change it back with the multitude of remotes, accidentally uncovers the parents have been watching him on a nanny cam the entire time, and they have several tapes of him doing such salacious things as Mr mysterious scratching using their bathroom not using a coaster and eating extra slices of bologna malcolm decides to uh turn things around on them when they get back home we see them sitting on the couch and they decide they want to watch their tape of malcolm to see what he was up to this time and we see malcolm setting up a blender on the coffee table right in front of the camera then going off screen and coming back with the uh top part of the blender With Barney the fish in it, putting it in the blender, and dramatically raising his finger and going to press the button. Then at the last minute, he stops and starts talking to camera, revealing that he's discovered their nanny cam, and he's decided to do some snooping of his own. So he has gotten onto their computer to check tax records, medical records embarrassing emails he tells them that they shouldn't use their birthday as their computer password and they shouldn't hide things in fake cans of salt out of which he pulls a napkin with a lipstick mark and a note from melissa i don't know who melissa
1: is but she wears a lot of lipstick
0: and he ends his video by quitting and we uh see the couple sitting on the couch again and the husband asks Who's Melissa? Which you
1: got to think—that's what. That was a big joke for TV in the 2000s. <sighs> I can't think of a lot of shows around that time that would even do that joke
0: uh i disagree because so i I think it gets away with it because of the exact structure of the joke you see a lot of very similar jokes at like the same time on friends i guess i've never seen friends but as long as essentially the punchline of the joke is someone is gay you can get away with it in this era (laughs) if it's anything more involved that's where you get into dicey territory
1: Yeah, it's weird, because I just, I don't remember that stuff. Like, I remember not really seeing that stuff until much later, like, probably 2006, 2007. It feels like it took a lot longer for that kind of stuff to hit network television. You'd see stuff you know, on HBO and on Comedy Central and shit like that. But, right. Well, Comedy Central wasn't a thing yet, I don't think, but... I don't think it was. I don't know. I'd have to look it up. I, yeah. I also don't think it was.
0: We, th- we then see Malcolm coming home from having quit his job. He has another talk with Hal, where Hal tells him, your boss is being jerks and you quitting is basically what work is, and he should get used to it. Then he tells Malcolm that he's the only one who has a shot at greatness and asks him, please just take care of your brothers. <laughs> what a good dad. Well a dad to malcolm he he, kind of dunks on dewey and reese there yeah but
1: i mean he's honest
0: fair (laughs) at the end of this conversation hal gets a look of realization on his face says sex runs off to his car and drives away leaving malcolm very bewildered uh but then malcolm turns to camera and has a little uh sort of summing up of the lesson that he's learned in this episode which is that his family may be you know shitty and low class and mean but at least they're honest and they're there for him and you always know where you stand with them the final scene we get is Hal comes back from the store with gas masks and he has figured out that the reason he and Lois aren't able to make up is that usually when they have a fight, they then proceed to have sex, and that is how they make up after a fight. But because they're stuck in the trailer with all of the kids, they haven't been able to do that. So the <laughs> solution is they put on gas masks, and they go into the house full of pesticide, and they proceed to have
1: sex, presumably. <laughs> and that's uh, how the episode ends. Yes. God, this episode was so good.
0: It was pretty good. It's not one that really like comes to mind when I think of the show as like one of the great episodes, but uh I-, I enjoyed it quite a bit rewatching.
1: Yeah, and there's a lot of little things to catch in this episode. There was it was really hard to pick and nominate for some of my awards for this go around. You did steal my primary best line for your intro. You jackass. Good. It's just, I don't know, there's a lot of subtle comedy in this one. And also, I guess, a lot of things that I relate to in this one. Which says a lot about me. Maybe more than I want to realize.
0: Since uh, I, you, you said you have a backup best line, right? I do. Okay, so I'll, I'll let you do your backup best line since I stole your primary best line. See if, you, see if you steal my best line with your backup best line. Well,
1: I mean, the backup one is sex ah okay (laughs) the the look on hal's face and the look into the distance (laughs) when he says it and the suddenness of it was just perfect and also the fact that he's talking to his young son and just randomly sex yes and takes off it was hilarious and also disturbing at the same time Also, just the fact that
0: it's a non-sequitur to the conversation he's having with Malcolm. It it, it is very good. It is not, however, my line of the episode. Okay. My best line is from Hal, though, and it's, Robots are evil. Westworld, Terminator, that creepy maid from the Jetsons. How much more
1: scientific proof do you need? (laughs) That was a good line. I can't believe Hal's scared of Rosie. I mean, she's kind of creepy. I get it. She's a little weird.
0: On the sort of flip side of that, what did you have
1: for your Roller Skating King Award? Your best visual moment, So. also involving Hal my best visual moment was originally uh, the boat scene just because I liked how they did that until we got to the end and the scene of Lois and Hal and the the awkward framing from the start, staring literally at their asses and their hands as they mesh. And then as he, like, leads her into the fumigation tent and it's a play on those big 80s romantic movies and you've got all this super thick fog and they do their little twirl around dance and their little seductive scene and then fade into the fog from the fumigation the way it was shot was amazing and the play off of that old 80s sort of romantic setting that was very popular i i really thought it was well done it was
0: very well done it is not one of two that I've had a really hard time choosing between, though. One of them is, I think, largely unintentional. This show was in standard definition when it came out. We are watching it now in high definition on Hulu. That is true. It has been uprezzed, and Hal's Mesh Underwear. Yeah. You can see a lot
1: of, <laughs> of Brian Cranston's dick in this episode. Uh, I have to admit I was not looking because I was afraid of something very similar to that. I
0: noticed it immediately and I was like, oh, I bet they uh, weren't like aware of how much that was in that shot and then when he steps outside and then back like inside we're stepping in and out of the trailer oh my god jesus (laughs) (laughs) but but i i think for my actual award i i am going to go with the viking funeral boat explosion bigger explosion scene it was pretty great just the expressions of like not even surprise (laughs) The, the very calm expressions of the cadets The the way they do first the small explosion just all happening off screen preceded by the much larger explosion. Then the cadets scattering for the second time in the history of the show. It's uh, really good.
1: Yeah, it was good. I liked it a lot. Like I said, it was almost mine.
0: And on that note, largely because of this scene for our shittiest kid award, I have Francis. Really? Yes. Yes. Why? Because he gave a hero a funeral? I would have been fine were it not for the explosion of the boathouse and the accidental decapitation.
1: Look, I can understand the decapitation. He was caught up in his feelings and he was uh, chewing out all of his friends for defacing and destroying this mummy of this hero who stood in uniformity with them against Commandant Spangler and he thought they had defaced him by putting a mustache on his face.
0: It's also worth noting he did did take lester's wallet
1: to get his id so he could look him up and see if he had family he was very concerned about him having family that missed him you're giving
0: francis a real Dewey treatment right now david no i'm not i listened to what he
1: said i also listened to what he said i also looked at what he did Well, there's your problem, Jake. No one in this family deserves a best anything if you watch their actions. (laughs) I see. You have to judge their intentions. I see. (laughs) Uh,
0: also, we do get a line that I think is very telling for the kind of person <laughs> Francis is. Where, where When they find all the other cadets partying with the body, <laughs> oh, yeah. he turns to Stanley and says, Did you tell anyone? And Stanley says no. And he goes, Oh, I guess it must have been me then. <laughs> Which also went into Francis being the shittiest kid. He was
1: super excited he found a hero.
0: I will say, this is the episode I had the most trouble deciding who was the shittiest kid. I think, they, I think this might be the episode so far where the kids have been the least shitty. Maybe maybe the exception of the pilot. Maybe. Well, no, except for Francis and the pilot. (laughs) So since you disagree with Francis so passionately who did you have for shittiest kid
1: so the shittiest son for me is malcolm interesting malcolm is a piece of shit in this episode but he learns his <laughs> lesson by the end of the episode david who can no he doesn't he learns his lesson quote unquote by having this little monologue and then he's like and maybe i should do something nice for my family nah <laughs> fuck them i'm gonna buy my robotics kit no He is a piece of shit and he takes total advantage of these people. And then when he finds out that they, God fucking forbid, have a nanny cam, a perfectly reasonable thing to have, he's like, you know what? Fuck you guys. I'm going to invade your privacy, hack your computer, print out on this super expensive paper, by the way, back then, all of your personal tax information, embarrassing emails. Like, holy fuck. What a shitbag. Malcolm was
0: justified. They were spying on him, David. They
1: were not spying on him. They own the fucking house. (laughs) 1984, David. No one fucking cares. (laughs) No one cares. They own the home. They can put up fucking cameras anywhere they want. They could be freaks. You never know. But a nanny cam is a perfectly reasonable thing for someone to have. Nope. And Malcolm's reaction to it. Makes him a piece of shit. On top of that, the greed and the weird shit that he does with the money, rubbing it on his face. Money's fucking gross, Jake. And that shit, like, Dewey was grossing me out in this episode the most until I saw Malcolm do that. And just seeing what I've seen with money, oh my fucking god, Malcolm, no, stop, please. It grossed me out so bad. But at least he's aware of how creepy it is. No, that
0: doesn't make it better. Yes, it does. No. He just can't help himself. He's never had
1: money before. Who cares? The fact that he knows it's creepy makes it fucking worse. Because he keeps doing it. It's worse. No. He's self-aware of his evil. The rest of his fucking family doesn't know. (laughs) He's a piece of shit. But he didn't
0: decapitate any corpses or blow anything up in the episode, David.
1: Yeah, no. No, he just retaliated by hacking someone's personal email accounts and tax returns and ruined a marriage because they had a fucking nanny cam, Jacob. That is not proportionate. Seems proportionate to me. Well... That's why you don't understand the Eighth Amendment. Punishment no, has to fit the crime. It's creepy to watch people without knowing they're being watched. I'm not disagreeing with that, except at the same time, your house, your right to put up cameras. Yeah, it's still creepy. I'm not a fan of it. That's fine. Just wait till you find the cameras in your room. Anyways, uh, moving on. No, but seriously, like, it's it's a reasonable thing for someone to have. Especially if you have two children and you are entrusting a slightly older child to ensure their safety. See, if he, if he knew about it, I would agree. Then it doesn't work! Mm. That's the whole point of nanny cams. It's the- creepy and wrong! <laughs> it's not, though. Yes, it is. It's called safety. No, it's creepy and wrong. You're creepy and wrong, Jake. The face you just made. (laughs) Again, I wish we were a video podcast at this point because the viewers are missing so much with that. Uh, So who did you have for your least shitty kid then, David? Uh, Francis. How? (laughs) Because Dewey is the reason why they had the exterminators and all this went down in the first place. Then you have Reese, who's just always a shitbag. I have yet to see him do anything good. What's the worst thing Reese does in this episode? He threw chips in Dewey's face. Yeah, that's not that (laughs) fucking bad. It's really not. This is probably the best we've ever seen Reese act, ever. Francis found a hero and he rallied people around him and then he gave him a proper burial after going through all the trouble of researching his family, making sure there wasn't anyone who missed this guy. taking his pocket. He took his wallet so he could use his ID to look him up. He then kept the ID. He would have wanted him to have it. <laughs> he burned him in a Viking style funeral With all of his treasures and things that he loved. Francis would have kept the porn if it hadn't been Betamax. You don't know that. I guarantee it. You're assuming you don't know that. (laughs) You cannot prove it. Yeah, but I'm pretty sure. But you can't prove it. I don't need to prove it.
0: This isn't a legal argument, David. Neither is the nanny camp thing. I'm talking about right and
1: wrong. Are you? Yes. And besides, that gets into a really weird conversation, because then you start talking about ethics and morals and... If you go deep enough down that rabbit hole, philosophy will teach you that no one really knows anything. That's not true. Yes it is. I took philosophy. <laughs> I took way more philosophy. Yeah, and it'll teach you And exactly there is an answer, and the know.
0: answer is the ethical system I prescribe to
1: is the best one. Ah, uh, yes. And all of the rest of them are untenable. Ah, uh, yes. Francis was the least shitty kid. Besides, arguably thinking about it now, maybe Reese. But I just automatically (laughs) prescribe all of the shitbag things Reese does to him. And we've seen so much shit from him. He's gonna have to really impress.
0: Well, I did go with Reese as best kid because the worst thing he does in the episode is throw some chips, not that bad. And I'll acknowledge that, yes, Reese probably is winning this by just barely being in the episode, but he's not gonna have a lot of opportunities to win this award. <laughs> he's not. Uh, and he didn't
1: do anything shitty for once. So i have given him best kid. Okay, I still think it's Francis. Francis learned something. What did Francis learn? <laughs> Clearly, To steer the boat away from the boathouse But I don't blame those cadets for not knowing that They aren't in a naval academy God
0: It is worth noting To move on to our next award I do have Francis as my favorite character (laughs) (laughs) Nice Because yes, these things that he did Were shitty They were also very funny
1: (laughs) They were super funny And I didn't see them as shitty as you did Clearly was the best besides maybe Reese but again we'll we'll move on uh my most liked character was Hal okay that's Uh, a good option I loved Hal (laughs) just the facial expressions the lack of shame the uh scene where Lois is throwing things out of the trailer and at one point like they're at first they're arguing and then he realizes that she's throwing other people's shit at him that becomes all he's concerned with (laughs) at that point which is hilarious I just and it's hard for me not to pick Hal all the time because Brian Cranston is a perfect everything of humanity. Love that man. He's amazing. Yeah, I, I really like his story arc. Uh, his physical comedy was great. The look on his face and the way that he snapped up as he's sex while he's talking to Malcolm. That perfect physical aspect to the character that he's portraying. He fucking goes hard. Uh, fair enough. And we could see his in this episode. I was not looking,
0: thank God. I'm curious about if this lines up. What do you have for the A-plot of your heart, David?
1: The Wilkerson's family extermination plot.
0: Uh, Okay. I have the the Francis plot as my A-plot of my heart. (laughs) Uh, Kind of figuring that they would line up with our favorite character of the episode. <laughs> Did you have anything un-Hal related that you want to uh, add in for your
1: A-plot of your heart for this episode? I like... Well, okay, it's kind of Hal related. <laughs> I like the dynamic between Lois and Hal. I always have. I I know it's broken and disjointed, but it's just hilarious. On top of that, like I just love that whole scene and the way it's it's set up when they first... Find the the bugs and decide to call the exterminator and everything it's just a lot of fun
0: only non francis related thing for the c plot that i have to add is i think it's the first time we really get to see some personality
1: from stanley which was nice yeah you really don't see much before this yeah
0: our last award is the okay boomer award which we give For a detail or moment that sets the episode firmly within its time of release and boy were there a lot of options for this episode
1: god there were oh my god
0: for stuff i have listed i have the nintendo 64 from the cold open Yep. i have the betamax board that francis finds i have in the montage uh we have the family trying to adjust the bunny ear antennas with tin foil attached to them Uh, along those same lines i have all of the remotes that are set up to uh control the tv in the house malcolm is babysitting at I actually had the Who's Melissa joke As well Because I Once again Having watched like Every episode of Friends Which was coming out At the
1: same time Very reminiscent Of a lot of jokes In that show Fair enough See and that's I haven't really watched A lot of Friends So For me I had the uh, The VCR Cable And TV setup In the Babysitter House That was very, like, high-tech for that time. It was the stuff that they used was common enough that people would know what it was. But also very clearly, like, high-class, spendy... Not everyone has this at that point. The television itself, by the way, was looked to be an old school plasma. That would have been probably $10,000 or more for a television at that time. I remember ones not nearly that size were going for, you know, six to eight grand when they were first coming out. It was very very much so a part of setting up this family as well to do and also showing exactly what time frame they were cuz about 6 years after this 7 years after this aired. I was selling appliances and TVs and I remember at that point they were phasing out and you heard all the like old school guys and you had to do all these trainings and read all these things that were way outdated and you'd hear people talk about fucking plasmas like they were the shit they died out so quick they sure did the technology was not good (laughs) i think
0: i'm gonna choose the betamax that's older though right which is why i'm choosing that because betamax was dead by the time we were kids Yeah. Kind of along the lines of what we've done in the past. It's a joke that I don't know a teenager now would understand.
1: Oh, true. Yeah, I don't know that they would at all. I don't know if I took a 16-year-old and was like, yeah, you remember Betamax, right? Right. They would look at you like, what the fuck are you talking about? They might not remember 8-track. Jake. Probably not. I feel like they're they're pretty, pretty close in, like, timeline there. Probably. They might not remember cassettes.
0: But I feel like everything else we have, they would at least have, like, a surface understanding of. If you had a show set in the early 2000s, you could still make that joke and it would work on a TV show today. I don't feel like you could make the Betamax joke if you wanted to have, like, an audience of people under, like, 20 at all. Fair.
1: Yeah. Yeah, that one's pretty disconnected from the young crowd. Just a little. <laughs> Just a little.
0: Before we wrap up, I do have my trivia on the opening of the show. The intro from Alk in the Middle is a bunch of clips from the show interspersed with a bunch of clips from various TV shows and old movies. Uh, mostly, like, old B-movies, including the B one for this week, is the Mud Monster Grabbing a Woman, coming out of, like, a swamp. And it comes from the 1961 Roger Corman movie, Creature from the Haunted Sea. I wonder what movie they are trying to rip off and cash in on there.
1: <laughs> Gee, I don't know. Uh,
0: which I've never seen, but I've seen enough Roger Corman movies that I I can guess what it's like. Fair enough. So, with that, let's wrap things up here if you enjoyed this episode please rate and review it. it helps other people find the podcast and we greatly appreciate it you can also find us on twitter where we are unfair underscore podcast you can vote in our weekly shittiest kid and least shitty kid polls there you can also reach us by email where we are life is unfair at gmail.com
1: also If you enjoy this chemistry and this banter and this back and forth, you can watch us play video games live on twitch.tv slash lpdeathrate. That's twitch.tv slash lpdeathrate. Thanks for listening, and remember, life is unfair. Fuck, shit, pussy, ass. Oh, no? (laughs) It's okay, you're gonna edit it all out.